I think my batteries are dead. <laughs> I hear sounds, but there's no one there. Um, uh, huh? We heard the Holy Trinity service. Holy Trinity service. Acceptance, unconditional love of God. Faith, grace. Peace. Forgiveness, right, yeah, forgiveness. How about original sin? Huh? You're down with that, aren't you? Okay, so here's a trick question. True or false? Original sin is the ancient and forever teaching of all of Christianity. Since Christianity began in all branches of Christianity, the doctrine of original sin is taught. True or false? False. For the first 400 years, there's no doctrine of original sin. After the doctrine's introduced, all of Christians subscribe to the idea of original sin. True or false? False. The Eastern churches, the Orthodox churches, there's no original sin. Everybody in the West, the Western churches from Rome, all teach the doctrine of original sin. For a lot of its history, yes, but no longer like us and others. Okay. So where does this doctrine come from? Where's the idea behind the doctrine of original sin come from? It's in the Bible. It's in your bulletin. I'm trying to help you here. This is like an open book test. Okay. Genesis chapter 3. So it's, very, it's a very important story, right? Adam and Eve, right? Um, so it's so important. You'd think that the rest of the authors of the Bible would refer to it quite a bit, wouldn't you? Wouldn't, yeah, right. So how often is the story in Genesis 3 referred to in the rest of the Old Testament? 10 times, 20 times, 120 times. Which do you think it is? Zero. Never referred to again in the Old Testament. How many times in the New Testament is the story of Adam and Eve and eating the apple? Is it an apple? Is the tree, the knowledge that they, good and evil, when they eat from it, is it an apple? Yes or no? No. no. Oh, you guys are smart, okay? It's depicted as an apple, but it's not an apple. It's not referred to in here, okay? How many times is the story referred to in the New Testament? I mean, it's going to be big because Jesus comes to save us from our sins, right? So they must refer to it a lot. So how many times? A hundred? Three. All from the Apostle Paul. He talks about the first Adam and Christ is the second Adam. He's not really talking about original sin. If the only thing that Jesus came to do was to save us from our sins, what was all the rest of the story about? Why did he spend the rest of his life teaching, healing, loving people? The crucifixion, the resurrection are important, yes. But are all those old hymns about being cleansed in the blood of Jesus, do they really reflect the theology of the church of a God of love and forgiveness? I don't think so. But in the West, we are plagued with this idea that we are all suffering 
from the ravages of original sin. In fact, we have a nature of sin, very indebted to the work of Danielle Schroyer, theologian and pastor, whose uh, wonderful little book, a monograph really, entitled Original Blessing instead of original sin. And when we look at the biblical story of creation, when God creates light, what does God say at the end of that creative act? It is okay. What's he say? It's good, right? And then on the sixth day, God creates humanity and says what? He said it's very good. God never says nothing. It's very good. And from that idea, we come up with the idea that humanity is the pinnacle of creation, which is hubris itself. You know, actually, we're descended, not ascended, but never lie. I'm not going to get into that. This idea in Genesis is that, unlike the other creatures, humanity is created for a particular purpose that God has in mind, which is that of all the creation, the earthlings, men and women, will care for and protect the garden, to serve and to protect. Sounds like the logo on the side of a police cruiser, to serve and protect, right? That's the job of the humans, is to care for God's creation and to stay in the proper relationship with their creator. And so it's a blessing. The world, our lives, everything in it is blessed by God from the very beginning. How many times does the word sin appear in Genesis 3? Zero. Doesn't say anything about sin. Does God cast Adam and Eve into the deep darkness? Never to return? No. He recalibrates the relationship, offers them better clothing than the fig leaves that they fashioned into loincloths. I mean, that cannot be comfortable. <laughs> and God gives to them lovely, soft leather. We think of chamois to wear. And says, okay, you're going to till the ground, but now... You're going to do so, in a sense, with a consequence you've brought on yourself, which is not a punishment, but you're going to know the difference between good and evil. You're not going to live, you know, ignorance is bliss. Right? Once your eyes have been opened, you can't unsee. Right? But this idea about original sin is so thoroughly ingrained into our consciousness thanks in part to our spiritual uh, ancestor, John Calvin. You know, the father of double predestination? That's a happy concept. And his term for original sin is what? Anybody know what Calvin called the doctrine of original sin? Humanity is total depravity. That'll bring him in on Sunday morning. My sermon this week is on total depravity. It's like Sunday dinner. The family comes home, and the mom who's been home making the dinner says, uh, well, what did the preacher talk about today? 
sin. What did he say? She's against it. So let's listen to the story with ears that are not twisted into hearing the idea of original sin and get a sense of how even this story is part of the way in which God blesses us in the reality of our humanity, our human condition. Are you ready? Say yes. The Lord God took the man, and it was at this point the man, Eve had not been yet created. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it, to keep it, to serve and protect it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat, when you eat that fruit, you shall die. Now that's not a punishment, it's just these are the natural consequences. When you know the difference between good and evil, your sense of homeostasis, the basic balance of the garden of creation will be lost and you will die. And so then over to uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was crafty, more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. The Hebrew word arum, which is translated as crafty, also means intelligent, insightful, wise, perceptive. See how that translation shapes our interpretation of the story? This is why we're all going to have a crash course in Hebrew just after Easter. Who wants to sign up? Oops, they signed up. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. More crafty than any other wild animal that God had made. And so the serpent said to the woman, Did God say that you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you will die. Now it's interesting because Eve was not created until after God had instructed Adam not to eat of this particular fruit, which is not an apple, and yet she knows. But the serpent said to the woman, Oh, you will not die. He's a salesperson. You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Up until this point, they are ignorant, they are innocent. It's like the movement from the innocence of very young children into adolescence and then adulthood and how our view of life and our understanding of our place in the universe, when we lose that childhood innocence, becomes twisted and perverted and jaded and cynical. So when the woman saw that the tree was 
good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, they're already married, to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. We don't have time to go in today into the whole root of the perversion of the sense of sexuality in the Western world that comes from this particular set of verses. It's pretty profound and deeply disturbing. But to note that they sewed together fig leaves, but in a few verses, God will give them lovely soft leather. And so then, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife had hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And God called out, Where are you? Replied, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and so hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Oh... Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, uh, well, the woman. The woman you gave to me, you gave her to me. She gave me the fruit from the tree, and so I ate. The Lord God turned to the woman and said, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, uh, it was the serpent who tricked me, and so I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because of this curse you will be among all the animals. Then he goes on, and to the man, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, shall now not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread until you, they, you turn to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There's no expulsion. In a little bit, God will send them forth to till and to care for the earth. There's no expulsion. There's no damnation. There's no sin. There's no idea that everybody is going to suffer because of what you have done. It's not there. In fact, all that God says is, you had it pretty sweet. You could walk up to any tree and eat of it. You didn't have to do anything. But now, you want to know good and evil? Okay, welcome to my world. It's work. Caring and serving, protecting, it's work. But you know what? I'm going to help you. I'm going to make loincloths for you out of chamois. I'm going to send rain. I'm going to show you how to till the fields. Right? There's no damnation. There's no imputation of sin upon the generations that will follow. Augustine, the great progenitor of the idea of original sin, said that the semen of Adam is in every one of us. Really? 
And so Calvin ultimately says total depravity. So from the biblical record, there's no foundation for the idea of original sin. We can get into the whole history of why, it's a, why it happened. But more importantly for us today, why don't we believe in original sin? One, there's no biblical foundation for it. And secondly, and this is Danielle Shoya's great insight, I think, is it doesn't make any sense. Think about the worst person you know. Maybe you'll find that person in the mirror. I don't know. Is that person suffering from total depravity? We're an admixture of good and bad, right? None of us are totally good. None of us are totally bad. We are a mixture of the two. And the good and the bad are the consequence of what? The choices that we make. There are many words in Hebrew and in Greek uh, for sin, but the most commonly used and the most frequently used Hebrew word and the most commonly used and frequently used word in Greek both refer to sin as uh, recalibrating, returning, turning around, that sin is missing the mark, that you're trying to do good. You know, I'm an archer, right? I'll never make the Olympics. And I let the arrow go, and it misses the mark. And so to come closer to the mark, I turn a little bit. That's sin and repentance right there, my friends. Or I say, oh, actually, the, the target's over there. But it's, you're trying, right? The idea of original sin simply doesn't work, doesn't compute in our experience of human nature, of one another, of the history of the world. Yeah, there's real bad goes on, but it's not the product of total depravity. Secondly, and this is, I think, perhaps the most telling argument. We cannot be of a sin nature. We cannot, by nature, be sinful. This idea of Augustine, the semen of Adam as evil that's in every person. That means it's our nature. Well, if that's true, then the game's up. Because if it's our nature, it's not a choice. What are you going to do? It's like saying to the leopard, change your spots. Not going to happen. You can't blame a leopard for chasing down a gazelle. It's his nature, her nature. And everybody, when you watch the nature films, oh, he's going to eat the little gazelle. Well, don't eat the gazelle and die. It's nature. You can't, if, if it's our nature to be sinful, then let's just lock the doors and go home. And lastly... If the whole point of Jesus is to save us from our sins, what about everything else that happened in his life? His life of compassion, his care, his teachings that upend the way we see each other and care for each other, his calling to account the evil systems in the world 
confronting the empire and the, the great suffering that it visits upon the people. These are all so much, it's not just, look at, do we sin? Of course we sin. I mean, I do. But am I cast into hell because of my sin? Or am I forgiven because of my sin? I'm not forgiven because I somehow prove myself to be worthy and thereby merit God's love. Why am I forgiven? Help me out here, people. I'm, I'm sinking. Why am I forgiven? Because God loves me. Because it's God's nature and desire to forgive me. And there's nothing you can do to stop it, thank heavens. Okay? So there's sin, and there's forgiveness, and there's mercy, and there's peace. But for heaven's sakes, if we're going to shed one of the doctrines that has beset and belittled and dehumanized people for... 1,500 years. Let's get rid of this idea of original sin. Do we have a propensity to eat that which we should not eat? Yes. Do we have a propensity to do that which we should not do? Of course. But is God ready and willing and wanting to forgive us or to cast us into the outer darkness where we will roast in the fires of hell. What kind of a God is that? Not a God of love. And so this whole idea about hell, that's another topic. <laughs> and so everybody's got to make choices. That's really what this story is about, just like it was for Jesus. Here we are at the opening days of Lent. We think about Jesus' own, beginning of his own journey to J Jerusalem. Having been baptized by John in the fourth chapter of Matthew, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, Remember Moses going up unto Sinai last week? And afterwards he was famished, I should say so. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And again, Jesus said, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, their splendor, and said, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only God. 
And so then the devil left him, and suddenly the angels came and waited upon him. Adam and Eve, faced with choices, missed the mark. Jesus faced with these choices, these invitations, in the desert shows us a different way of answering the questions posed to us by the temptations of this world. Adam's problem, Eve's problem, your problem, my problem, is we want to be God. We want to be in charge. We're not up to the task, to be perfectly frank. And it perverts and distorts our relationship so that we can stop feeling and seeing and apprehending the great sweetness of God's love and the peace the peace, the true peace that comes in living as a child, a beloved child of God. Remember one thing. If you remember one thing, remember this. You are a beloved child of God. And Jesus comes to make you aware again, perhaps for the first time, that you are beloved of God. That love is unconditional, irrefutable, and will stand the test of time. Regardless of how far you wander, when you turn again, you find the ready embrace of God. He does not cast you away, but welcomes you home. And that is the original blessing. Amen.